So, Jim, I told you about the R&D tax credit, the federal R&D that I took advantage of several years ago. Did you do anything with that? I did. I called them and we set up our discovery call. But I have to tell you, I was shocked at the amount of granular information they required to build my case. Right. Well, I mean, I know you didn't want another thing on your plate. I literally got anxiety due to the multiple years of data and the detail of the data that they needed. But the thing was, I knew the pro shop was identifying and tracking this data. The problem was, I just did not know how to extract it. So I set up a Zoom meeting with the company the R&D company, and one of the founders of ProShop, Kelsey Hecoop. It was a really productive meeting, to say the least. And the R&D team just asked what class of jobs, the hours, the costing, and more. And we were able to download the information immediately and email to them in real time. It was really another great reason to have ProShop that I had no idea would help me in the future. Well, it just goes to show when you choose the right ERP system, it can really help you to save more money. Bam. Welcome to the Jason Zanger Show. I believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you're connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zanger, and I'm joined by my sidekick, the man on the chair next to my big desk, Nick Golner. Is it like a little sidecar? Like you're, you're driving a, a motorcycle and I'm just here with like a little That's laptop exactly mini? It. I didn't realize you changed the name of the show. Yeah, if you can envision, you know, like old school talk show, like that's how we are now. We've okay. changed the show. It's now the Jason Zenger show. Okay, I understand. I am I just like the guy who plays the music that goes. No, to no, the no. You're not the music. You're not. The I'm music. not even there. You're yet. just the guy that laughs at all my jokes. Okay. All right. Well, someone needs to. <laughs> so I'm here for you. So we're talking about change today, and while we're not actually going to change the Making Chips show, although that would be kind of funny, we are going to talk about how to change. Oh, so it's not the Jason Zenger show. It's not going to be the Jason Zenger show. No, Thank I'm God. just joking. <laughs> Thank God, because I don't think it would. I don't think it would get as many listens. It probably the wouldn't. download would go to, <laughs> download straight would down go the tubes. Down to zero, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would. It would be one download every episode, and exactly. it would be you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't listen. So yeah, not even to yourself. No, not my wife or anybody else. So no. Okay, so what are we changing here? So we're just talking about how do you manage change. So you know we've been in flux for the last year and a half or something like that, things have been changing a lot. And I want to just take the time to say, okay, things have changed around us, but if we're the ones that are intentionally making changes to our company, making changes as leaders, how do we go through like a methodical approach to doing that? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Good. But before we go there, tell me something great going on at your company, Nick. Well, it's interesting you bring up change management because I'm in the middle of this huge initiative where I'm like restructuring how sales works between the sister companies, mm -hmm. Advanced and Hennig, you know, the two companies that my family operates. So a huge project of establishing the difference between head of product, which we call a business development leader for a business unit, and then head of region, which we call a regional sales director. And before those lines were kind of like blurred and, you know, who handles the accounts and who manages the brand vision and all that kind of stuff. And So you're and, just kind of being better at defining those accountabilities? Yeah, exactly. That's good. That's yeah. good. You don't want people to be like just kind of... I, I had a similar conversation where when I was talking about the new quarterly check-ins that I'm going to be doing with my team, and, and I I told him, I was like, a lot of times it's not your fault that you're not doing what I think you should be doing because maybe I haven't yes, <laughs> told you correctly exactly. what you're supposed to be doing. So, and I think if you go into the situation with like kind of that level of humility of like, hey, we maybe we haven't communicated this correctly, right? But we can, you know, that's what I'm better. learning too. Like, 
I got to over communicate everything because oh, yeah. I may spend like three hours thinking about something and then talk about it for 10 seconds and expect it to matter as much. Yeah. It's like, wait, didn't you guys get it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No. And they say you have to say things like 10 times before people will actually get it. I see. Someone just needs to explain that to my wife. I know. I, dude, I have that same problem. My <laughs> wife says something to me once and she gets really mad at me when I, when I don't, it doesn't like check in. And I literally had that conversation last night and I was like, okay, honey, I screwed up. Next time you're talking to me, I need to stop doing what I'm doing, look at you in the eyes and focus on what you're saying because I have a really hard time concentrating, really hard time absorbing because I'm usually the one talking. Oh, okay. You gotcha. know what I mean? And I'm usually the one saying the things. Yeah. Like, no, like that... you just said, like you've been thinking about it and you say the things. Doesn't but surprise in my house, me. it's the opposite. Okay. I understand now. <laughs> so what a revelation. Is that the same thing? <laughs> Is that the same struggle that um, you have? Y- yeah, it's usually not that I'm talking. It's usually that I'm like trying to watch sports or oh. well, you know, deal with the kids. I'm not good at like you know, I think women especially, like they're really good at like there's a lot of sensory, you know, inputs from four or five different sources going on. And they on, can like and they it can out. handle it. Yeah. And yeah. I am like I can't either. No, yeah, like one thing either. at a time. Exactly. So let's move on to manufacturing news. There's an article here from Design News, designnews.com, and the title of the article is Manufacturing Predictions for the Next Decade. And it goes through some obvious things, but I think it it begs to be discussed. So I'm going to go through these, just like the little bullet points that, that they put together, and we can kind of talk about this a, li- a little bit. The first point was expect to see intelligent robots, comma, IoT, comma, AR slash VR, comma, and AI. And the reason I talked about the commas and the slashes is because one of the important things that came out of this article is that they said AR slash VR. And those are two different things. There's AR is augmented reality, and VR is what, Nick? Virtual reality. Virtual reality. And those two things are different, right? Yeah. They I mean, get, you know more about this than I do. They get like bucketed together more often than than they're separated. Than they I should, yeah, probably. Probably more often than they yeah. should, yeah. I'm working on an augmented reality solution to present my products at trade shows. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of the direction that trade shows are going into. I don't personally, I, I personally like, I'm going to call it RR, real reality. Yeah. <laughs> real reality. I, sure. I, that's what I prefer, you know, shaking yeah. people's hands and looking people in the eye. But, you know, this is the direction that a lot of people want to go. So, so what's an intelligent robot? Is that like a C-3PO, R2-D2? Well, I think it's kind of like that. But I think what an intelligent robot would be able to react to its environment a little bit better than a non-intelligent robot and maybe even like make better decisions. So you like know? a cobot is an, a version of Yeah, because okay. like if a cobot you know, slams into somebody's arm, it's going to stop and it's not going to necessarily break a bone or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then also or like machine vision where it can say, pick up the red Skittles, not the green Skittles. And it can, it's got right. cameras and stuff. Well, so I don't know if you remember, remember one of the big things in the news was when IBM had created that computer to be like a chess master. Yeah. And the actual, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. The actual chess master beat the machine, I believe. And so that was an example of intelligence, but it, a robot is only going to be as, as intelligent as you program it. But things have gone a long way since that or initial IBM computer. That's the AI, right? Where it creates its own intelligence. Yeah, but now like these intelligent chess simulations, they think like millions of degrees out. And it's like, I think it's become almost impossible to beat them now. Wow. So then lastly, there's IoT and what's that? So IoT is like the internet of things. So machine to machine communication. So like, let's say your toothbrush tweets you, hey, it's time to change the bristles or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, or... Or you have bad breath. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would know that. Usually it's just someone in my family who's like, come on, dad. Like my kids are the worst. 
my daughter will be like, Dad, your breath stinks. Oh, my it's daughter like, does that to well, me, Well, you come up right when I wake up. I mean, what do you expect? You're like in my face two inches away. You're like, I just woke up and had a cigarette. Of course, my breath <laughs> yeah, Okay, right. No, so IoT in our context is often related to machine monitoring or machine-to-machine communication. So if you have a work cell and you know the machines are communicating with each other, that's sometimes called IIoT or the Industrial Internet of Things. Industry 4.0, all that jargon. Yeah. The next point is the technology will be available to smaller manufacturers. And I think that this goes without saying that the technology is just going to become more accessible to small manufacturers. I remember several years ago when Jim and I were at a panel discussion with Sam Vecormont in New Jersey, and one of the panelists made the bold assertion that if you are not utilizing digital technology in your small machine shop, and he was talking specifically to small manufacturers, you're going to go out of business. And, you know, Jim was a little annoyed and taken aback by that, you know, but I think that it has just become so much more accessible to small manufacturers so quickly that I think you're just going to see them adopting. It's kind of like when people are like, well, if you don't switch from a Bridgeport to a CNC, you're going to go out of business. And I think to a certain degree, if you're a precision machine shop, that's true. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with being ready in your company's DNA to adopt new technologies. So there was a really good webinar that I saw about like moving to five axis machining. And it was like basically the shops that have five axis milling machines are the best of the best. But just because you have a five axis milling machine in your shop doesn't mean that you're more profitable. You have to have a lot of other stuff built into your DNA to where like, okay, now that I've moved up to that, well, I can program for it. I can run it efficiently and have high throughput. It's like, yeah, just because you buy a race car doesn't mean you can win a race. Yeah, very true. Good point. The next point is open source and low code will simplify deployment. So open source is essentially when a software company has given away their software to be utilized. Yeah, like, hey, you can do whatever you want with this kind of platform we've Mm -hmm. built for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot more of of that type of open source development in the future. I think that um, the AMT's communication medium, I forgot what it's called. MT Connect. MT Connect, yeah. yeah. I was thinking Russ, what what all in my, in my head. So I was thinking about the guy that runs it, but not the, yeah. MT Connect is like an open source platform. Sure. And then low code will simplify deployment. And I don't know if I know exactly what that would be referring to. I, I don't know either, but uh, I'm sure the people at Making Chips can tell me what low code means because we just have... Oh, I think I kind of know what it is. So here's it's like templatized, like things where you, you have to know minimal code to do some... So here's yeah. an example. One of the things that I know about Cobots is that, you know, you would think you need to sit down next to a computer and code the cobot to do what it yeah. what it's supposed to do but you don't actually have to do that what you can do is you can just move the cobot around you can like hit record move the cobot around and then the programming will get embedded just based on the physical so it's happening in the background yeah. exactly exactly and they could do you know similar type of stuff yeah i've um, seen i've seen a lot of setups like that with machine tending yep exactly moving to the edge and 6g Now, 6G, I think that that's probably pretty obvious to everybody. Like 6G is the next iteration after 5G. So it's what, faster and yada, yada, yada. I thought we just got to 5G. I I don't even know if we're at 5G yet. My phone has it. Oh, it does? Are you sure? It might just say it. It could just be a marketing thing, Nick. I'm pretty sure it has it. (laughs) I mean, I paid for it. So I I hope it has it. So edge computing is related to this whole cloud-based software and data center explosion that's going on. And I believe what it has to do is not relying as extensively on 
the data center mm-hmm. and has to do with like, you know, deploying some of the resources both locally and on the data center so you have more reliability. Okay. But from a technical standpoint, I don't know if I really understand. Maybe one of our listeners but, does. They can, if, if someone wants to email info at making chips and tell us what edge computing Yeah, is, and how it relates be, exactly to manufacturing, yeah. that would be helpful. Because I've wondered that as well. So why don't we move on to communicating change, Nick? As we said in the very beginning, we are not changing the Making Chips podcast to the Jason Zenger show, although that was kind of fun to pretend for about a minute. Yeah, because our third host isn't here, so I thought you just yeah, took Yeah, so over. well, that's a big part of the change, too. Jason that, staged a coup. Yeah, Jim's no longer with Making Chips Podcast. I think it's I think it's going to be fine. I think that, you know, between Nick and I, we're going to deliver a great <laughs> show, and we just want to make sure that we communicate that to the audience right away, that Jim's no longer with Making Chips, but you're going to still continue to get the great information that equips and inspires you. I don't think we can toy with our audience like this. Okay, all I, right. I Jim's, think that would be like a member of the Beatles like leaving the band. Okay. Well, Jim is still here. There, there's just, a bunch of girls somewhere who listen to the podcast screaming and wailing in tears because they think Jim is gone. Okay. Jim is still here, but he's just not, not today. Just not today. So communicating change. So Nick, I'm going to go through a couple points that I assembled based on my leadership at Zengers for making changes. I've been kind of known around Zengers for making changes and making them rather quickly compared to what most people would probably want to tolerate. But I think I've communicated a lot of those changes rather well. And, mm-hmm. I've, you know, usually starts with communicating them as quickly as I possibly can. But the first point that I made was to get buy-in that a change needs to be made. So like validate the actual reasons why you're making those changes. Sometimes people like you and I, you and I are both like visionaries. Jim's actually more of an integrator. We like to change just for the sake of change, but we're probably in the minority as far as that goes. Yeah. So tell me if you think this is true. I'm uncomfortable when things aren't changing. I'm uncomfortable when things aren't changing too. Exactly. Do you just feel like, okay, so what's the competition? Yeah. It's like, am I dying? What's the market doing? Like, are we not growing? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you always think like you need to change in order to do that. And then what I've learned is most people are very uncomfortable when things are always changing. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to find a happy medium there. So one of the stories that I have as it relates to getting buy-in on a change was that when I started at Zengers, you know, the team was, I would call them a motley crew. And we didn't play music, but we were very, all very, very different. And to a certain degree, people weren't as like cohesive as they were. And we also had a lot of trouble with keeping people on the team, and we didn't know why. So I started doing some research, and I found out that defining our values was something that was going to be important for us. And the reason that that was important was because we need to know who we were, who we were as a family. We need to know that the people that we hire held the same values as the best of the best people at Zenger. So I knew that I needed to go along this journey in order to define our values, but I needed to have a reason why. And I needed to get that buy-in from the team. So that was like one of the first things. And the team was like, oh yeah, like, I mean, it kind of makes sense to define your core values, but I would say 10 years ago, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Yeah. No, I I think that's important to the, the whole start with why thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, why am I doing this? Like, let's not do this just for the sake of changing. Or, you know, what we would get is my family would go on like a business trip, family vacation type deal. They were always mixed together in the family business. Mm -hmm. And we'd come back. And while we were there, you know, we'd all like get the same book and read it on the plane or something, then talk about it while we're there. And then we'd come back and we're 
want to make all these changes. Yep. And so the joke at the company was like, oh, the Goldner's write another book. You know, here we go. So you got to make sure that your why is there before you do that change. And then I think after a while, it was like, this isn't just the flavor of the month. Here's why we read the book and here's what we got out of the book and why we're going to make the change. That's great. I like that. Yeah, because we have our own book club at Zenger's. So I can understand where you can get these like ideas and you just want to change everything quickly. But you have to say like, am I doing this for the right reason? Right. So the second point is ask for feedback from a smaller group that you trust. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have kind of like your inner circle sure. and you can bounce ideas off of and they have the permission to say, you know what, that's a bad idea or I don't think we need to do that right now, but that's a good idea. Maybe we can do it in the future. Sure. So, yeah. And as far as like a circle of people that we trust, our audience is that. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, we, we want the feedback. We get a lot of feedback. We ju- were just talking in our meeting the other day about some feedback. It was actually not even about our podcast, but it was related to other feedback that we've gotten where there was a listener who she was like, you know, I just can't get into podcasts because there's a promise at the title of the show. Like you're going to learn about what like how to communicate change. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's the promise. of. But this then show. Nick and Jason just sit around and like make jokes at each other for the first five minutes. And, yeah. And so some people are just like, give me the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Right. But then w- you don't. You want to be careful not to just like change everything because you got one piece of feedback. Because we also hear there's hey, a thousand people that like it the way it is. Right. I mean, our downloads are up, and so there's people who think that hey, we're human, we're relatable, it's actually entertaining. You know, they might well, get a laugh. that gets me to like one of my other thoughts is can you make this a win win for everybody? So that's where if you get feedback from that smaller group, that kind of circle of trust, it's like I've got this idea, but can I formulate it in a way that's a win win? So one of the things that we thought about is. Let's put a timestamp on our on our banter before we get into the heart of the episode. Right. And we had decided, okay, we're going to structure a Making Chips episode so that it's no more than 10 minutes of discussion and manufacturing news and the other stuff that comes before the actual episode. So then we can give a timestamp to the people that don't want to listen to the banter so they could fast forward. But then we can also have that time for the majority of the people who enjoy that other aspect of the podcast. Right on. And I had another example of this. So we recently changed our vacation policy and as you can you you can imagine that's that's a touchy subject for a lot of yeah. people and don't no, touch my off time don't touch my pto exactly and so what i said going into this and talking with my team is can we make this a win win so can we can we make it a win where we increase people's benefits but we also make it a win for the ownership so i think it's just a just as much of a mindset as it is tactical when you when you go to do that so can you get into the tactics of how, what what you changed one of the overlying things that I did was that I said, I'm going to make it so that new team members can move towards more PTO quicker. Now, the problem was that I had people on my team that put in their time and they're like, okay, well, but I put in 10 years in order to get to this point, And now you're saying that you only have to work for three years to sure, get to that point. Sure. And so what I explained to them was, That was then. And the reason that we're making that change now is because we need to attract people to the team that are going to help you in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And they need to see a benefits package that's a little bit different than it was in 2010. Right. Okay. Reminds me of like like a parable. In the Bible, where like, oh, so, so you know what I'm talking about? Where oh, absolutely. What is the story though? Like, someone gets a more debt forgiven, and or something like that. Or? No, it was it was where the landowner hired people. Yeah, and they all got the same uh, and they all wage. got the same wages at the end, but they all started at a different point. That's a, it's like the exact same thing. Yeah, and and the and the notion was well. 
this was my decision to make and you were given what you promised. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good one, Nick. I never, I never even put that together. The next point is review big changes with individuals that will affect the most, in particular, where it would affect them in a negative manner. So you can't always make something a win-win, and sometimes things need to be readjusted for people. So it's important that those people that are going to be possibly negatively affected by it are spoken to prior to the team finding out as a whole. So you speak to those people individually and say, this is what's going to change. This is what you might be concerned about, but this is the reason why we did it. So sure. those people are not going to be as happy if they get blindsided by it during during right. group meeting. So like, for example, if you're going to realign your management structure, and let's just say you're planning on going into this meeting, you're like, I'm, I'm doing this realignment and we're moving these departments around and we're changing these roles. And all of a sudden, all these people are going to re- be reporting to different people. Like, let's just say, for example, you had like a lathe department and you had a mill department and then they each had their own supervisors, but you're going to be consolidating that now. And now everybody on the shop floor is going to be reporting to one manager. Well, you should probably have some individual discussions for maybe your senior people that that's more impactful to before they hear it in the group setting. Because yeah. you don't want them to be upset in front of everybody else. You don't want a lot of blank faces and or angry faces happening when you make this great announcement that you're excited about. So I need some advice from you, change management guru, because your example is just like right in line with what I'm doing with this restructure. So we historically have had our head of a business unit, head of a product group is the BDL role, right? Mm-hmm. And that person has taken key account management accountability for like the biggest accounts that we have. So like we make a lot of chip conveyors for Haas. So that's like this monster key account that we have. And then we've had regional salespeople in the field and they've been more asked to find new opportunities and bring bring them in and like follow up on the opportunities that we have and make sure things are going well with the customer. But they haven't been asked to be the key account manager for the key accounts in their region. And that's one of the things that I'm going to change. I'm going to have the regional guy manage the key accounts in the region. I'm pretty much abolishing house accounts. And I'm going to have the head of the business unit think more like a product manager. So okay. he's going to be thinking about like product and brand vision and he's going to be thinking about what's the industry like, what's the market like for this product and how So I, I think I, I think I know what you're asking me. So like if I was in your position, what I would do is I would cast a vision for what this is going to look like in the future okay. and paint a picture of what their day-to-day accountabilities, what their day-to-day life is going to look like and paint it in a positive light so that they understand this is what's it's going to look like a year from now so that they can understand the changes that are happening. So like just going back to that, being a visionary, painting a picture, letting them know like this is this is where we're going and this is what, what things are going to look like a year from yeah, now. Yeah, so you... I am going to do that. And you hit on something. So if I paint a vision of, hey, this is why product and brand management is so important. And this is how you can be a rock star in that new paradigm. The the pain of kind of letting go of some of that key account management might go away because they, they understand what they're letting, they're letting go of that in order to grab onto something mm-hmm. else. But the other thing I was thinking about doing, and so we, we've like announced the change. Everyone's aware of it. We're restructuring our contracts, you know, according to the new, the new structure And I'm actually going to fly everybody and all the regional guys and all the head of product guys. And we're going to do like this big kickoff, like full day meeting to kind of the way I, I communicated it was like, 
So when an election happens, you know who wins. And then there's all this time that goes by where like everyone's getting prepared and then there's the inauguration. Oh, sure. That makes sense. So you're having like just this meeting where you're going over how it's going to change three months from now. Yeah. It's like an inauguration workshop, I guess. Yeah. No, that that's a, I think that's a great way of handling it. That's good. So the next point is when you announce the change to the team at large, start with what is not changing to affirm to everybody that they have some foundational points to stand on. So okay. as we said before, most people are more comfortable with things not changing than changing. Right. So even though that's not our style, and usually it's not the style of the people that are making the changes, you want to make sure that you affirm to the team, this is what's not changing. So sure. You know, 90% of what you're doing every day is not changing or 50%, you know, whatever it is, you just want to make sure you affirm those points before you move on to what it is actually going to change. Yeah, that's really good advice too for like when I actually give this workshop. You yeah, know, that would be one of the things to start with is like, this is what's not changing in your role. And then we'll move on to what is changing. Gotcha. So, and then the next point is just simply then announce what's going to change and make it crystal clear. If it's permanent, make sure that they understand that it's permanent. If it's an experiment, let them know that it's an experiment. Let them know what are the implications of the change, why you made the change, who you consulted with to make these decisions. So this just goes back to the very beginning of these steps and outlining to the rest of the team. These are the processes that I went through in order to get to that point. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing is that you're giving them the thought process. So don't just you know, give them, well, this is what's going to happen. Like actually let them know and, and give them a story of what you went through to get to this point. Sure. And then you got to repeat it. Say it again and say it again and say it again. Because like we mentioned before, people don't always grasp what's actually changing until you've said it like five to 10 times. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So we actually took this approach when we changed our ERP system, because as you can imagine, that's a huge, huge change. And people don't always like it, but we talked about it way ahead of time. We made it clear that we needed a software system, an ERP system that had a fully integrated ERP system, and we needed to have that for a great customer experience for our clients. So if I go to your website and I buy something... Yeah, if you go to VIPsupply.com right now, which is our new e-commerce site, it's the same, literally the database that our, our clients are working off of is the same database that my customer service. So you're not going to have mismatched of. inventory there, levels. No, there's no integration between the two of them. That's that great. Was the, that was the big important thing there. So yeah, so that those are the points that we went through. And Nick, I'll go through them one more time. So get buy-in that the change needs to be made. So validate the reasons why. Ask for feedback from a smaller group that you trust. Review the big changes with individuals that will affect the most or the individuals that will it will affect negatively. When you announce the change of the team at large, start with what is not changing to affirm to everyone that they have some foundation to stand on. And then lastly, announce the change, make it clear and keep repeating what that change is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I would say my two takeaways that I'm going to actually apply to my life. So, so good job. You've changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That's what I'm here for. But yeah. That's, I, that's what you do on the Jason Zenger show. Oh, gosh. Now I want it to change back. <laughs> no, but the two things I'm going to do is when I do this big like restructure workshop, I am going to start with what's not changing in the in the two roles because they're, you know, it's not like the entire job is changing. And I think that'll kind of set some people at ease. And then the second thing you talked about, like communicate it over and over and over again. I think that goes both ways too. So I think what I'm going to end up doing is, you know, after we've kind of launched the restructure, I will, you know, every month or every, you know, six weeks, 
have a group of the product leaders and a group of the regional sales directors telling me like what's working and what's not. Oh, that's great. Like having like a little mini mastermind to help them through the yeah. changes. I like that. Cause a lot of what we talked about is like, you know, initiating the change and then getting it kicked off. But how do you make sure that the change is going according to plan? And I think that that might help. Great. Well, Metalworking Nation, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Making Chips, or I should say that you enjoyed this episode of Late Night with Jason Zenger. <laughs> you even changed the name of your original name. Exactly. It, guys, right in the middle. It's, it's Making Chips, okay? It is what it is. One thing that has changed, Nick, that I would like the Metalworking Nation to check out is that we changed our website. Yeah. So makingchips.com has completely changed. If you could go to our new website and check it out, we would really appreciate it. You know, let us know your feedback. Let us know what you like. It's it's better than it was before. And now it features some p- pictures of Nick. So, you know, that makes it even <laughs> Finally, yes. yeah. Finally, some pictures of Nick. So go to makingchips.com, check it out, let us know what you think, and subscribe to our newsletter, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and the other thing you can do is we talked about having that circle of people that you trust, and we really do trust our audience. So if you if you want to give us feedback, you can do that from our website. You can email us at info at makingchips.com. The best thing you could do is actually go to like your podcatcher, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and just give us a review and let us know what you think there, and hopefully it's a good one. Yeah, make it five stars or whatever the you know the full number of stars is. Yeah, maybe six. Like you should actually call Apple and say, "Hey, can can we do six? Yeah, give, give making chips six stars. You should change your 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 rating. So Nick, you know if you're not making if you're not making changes, you're not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day to day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow. Customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. This is Jessica, Agency Director at Making Chips, taking a quick break from navigating our exciting client projects to let you guys know about an awesome new offering through Zometry. They recently rolled out a new offering that might sound familiar to some of their current partners, Zometry Pay. It's their new purchase order system that allows you to bill your clients and receive 30% of your project costs upfront, so you're not stressing over cash flow issues or material costs. It's extremely flexible for both you and your customers, getting your shop your payments up front and upon completion and allowing your customers to pick a payment plan that best suits their needs. I could go on for easily a whole episode about this service, but I'll keep it short and sweet for you guys. Zometry is so excited about this that they're actually offering this service for 90 days free. All your fees are completely waived. You can get yourself signed up by going to zometry.com slash making chips, all one word. Simplify the invoice process and get back out on the shop floor because if you're not making chips... You know the rest.